0: Welcome to episode 131 of This Week in Linux, your weekly source for Linux GNU's. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. Coming up on this week's episode, we've got some big desktop environment news with the latest release of XFCE with 4.16, and the GNOME project announced UX changes that are coming to GNOME 40. There's also a lot of app news this week with releases from CadenLive and Darktable. Plus, we'll check out some new apps such as NeoChat, which is a new Matrix client from the KDE team, and a Markdown editor called Zettler. We've also got a bit of gaming news this week to check out. For example, we've got an Odroid-powered Nintendo Switch-like device, and we've got some really interesting gaming updates to the Linux kernel. And since this is the last episode of the year, you may have noticed that there's some decorations. If you're listening to the audio-only edition of the show, this may be one of the episodes you want to check out the video version to see all those decorations because it's it's quite festive. We've got all that and much more coming up right now on This Week in Linux. Before we get started this week, I want to give you a quick bit of housekeeping to let you know about something we recently announced for the Destination Linux Network. It's actually on the DLN YouTube channel and Odyssey channels. We're doing a new uh, live stream of effort, and that is at dlnlive.com. We're going to be using that a lot more frequently. Uh, dlnlive.com is going to be for places like we're going to do. Uh, well, there's a few things that we haven't yet uh, announced, but there is something that I do want to let you know that we have announced, and that is the Destination Linux podcast is going live January 3rd. That's right. So, January 3rd, Destination Linux podcast is. Everybody will be able to watch it by going to DLNLive.com. Now, patrons will still be able to join us in the, in the live the live chat and also in the rooms. Uh, we're also going to be doing a post show with patrons, so that, that part will still be there. But for everyone else, you can be able to watch it, DLNLive.com. So bookmark that and also put it on your calendar every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time or 1800 UTC. You can join us for the live recording of Destination Linux. So again, DLNLive.com. Up first in the show this week is the latest release of the desktop environment XFCE so xfce 4.16 has officially been released and this is a major new version the previous version of xfce was 4.14 and that took more than four years of development before we saw the release with this release of 4.16 that period has been drastically reduced which is awesome and it's been just over a year since that previous release so this has a lot of uh really it's me really exciting for what the future may hold for the xfce project and let's talk about this latest release of xfce 4.16 this includes many new features and enhanced the highlights of which are a refreshed look with new icons and color palette, support for fractional scaling in the display settings. Uh, the panels now support a dark mode, which is always awesome. They've added support for the uh, client side decorations or CSD for all the settings dialogues. They've improved the search and filter capabilities for the ses- the settings manager and many more. So let's go into more in depth about what the actually changes in this particular release are. Uh, the window manager received lots of updates and improvements again in the the area of compositing and GLX, including improvements to the alt tab dialogue and the ability to keep minimized windows in the most recently used list and options to zoom the cursor along with the rest of the display when you do the zoom in and out effects. Uh, The XFCE team made a lot of enhancements to the XFCE panel, such as adding a new plugin to the panel dubbed Status Tray, which combines both the status notifier and the legacy system tray icons. Uh, our system tray items, an animated auto hide transition now clearly shows the user where the panel has gone, and a dark mode has been added and enabled by default, which is awesome because it blends the panel into the background much better to give a better professional or more professional visual appearance to this. Uh, it's just I just like it a lot. Dark pa- dark mode should be the standard on every kind of uh, interface for a desktop environment, but you know, in applications, not necessarily standard, but it should always be there. So uh, just a random tangent there anyway. There's been also quite a few uh, more like smaller improvements for the panel and that sort of stuff, Uh, but also the Xfce team added in 4.16 support for the much requested ability for fractional scaling to the settings dialog. So along with the highlighting, uh, the preferred mode of the display with an asterisk and adding aspect ratios next to the resolution, which is really nice. But in addition for the fractional scaling, they've done a lot. You have many options. It goes like by default it has the uh, the regular one times, one point five, and two times, but it also has a custom fractional scaling so you can choose between 0.1 times up to 10 times and also in increments of 0.1 so there's like a hundred or options in the fractional scaling which is really interesting because i think that's the most uh flexible Uh, that I've seen in desktop environments for fractional scaling. So that's really cool. They've also added a new tab for the About XFCE dialog, which shows basic system information like CPU and GPU type and that sort of stuff. So users can use that uh, to find that system information easier if they want to like share that for tech support or that sort of thing. Uh, it's it's just nice to have that built into the system versus having a separate application, that kind of thing. It's really nice. Uh, also, the settings manager has an improved search and filters capability, uh, making it uh, much cleaner and easier to find different changes in settings. So you can just really easily uh, just type in what you want and it will automatically filter it for you, which is really cool. And they've also made some updates to Thunar, which is X- XFCE's file manager. It's received quite a few notable features and a bunch of bug fixes Uh, some of these features are uh, the ability to pause and resume copy and move operations which is really nice Uh, a lot of uh, file managers don't have that and i think that they all should so it's really nice to see that they've also added support for queued file transferring the ability to remember view settings per directory and get support for transparency in the gtk themes for windows which is pretty cool XFCE 4.16 will be available in distributions in the coming days, weeks or months depending on the particular Linux distribution you use like for example Debian is not typically up you know known for doing updates but uh, Debian bullseye might actually get this update because they did release it before the feature freeze, which is very nice. So for those who are Debian users, you should get it in the next release. Uh, if you'd like some more information about the latest release of XFCE with 4.16, I'll have links for their announcement, the tour of the X of XFCE 4.16 that the team made, and also an article on frontpagelinux.com that I wrote. So all of that links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we get some interesting news from the GNOME project. The GNOME project recently announced that some, some interesting design changes that they're planning to do for GNOME 40, and GNOME refers to it as reimagining the activities overview. There are some significant changes in this that I think some people will have an issue with, but also I think there are some things that they are doing that make this kind of interesting. So this is scheduled for March 2021, they hope, for the next release of GNOME 40. And they've said that they're working on updated designs for activity overviews. This also applies to other things like the app grid is going to get some changes and the navigation of of the shell is going to get changes and stuff like that. Uh, But the biggest and most obvious change is to the activities uh, overview, and that is they're going to be doing a changing up the design from a vertical design to a more horizontal design and having the virtual desktops much larger than they were previously. Obviously, on the Gnome 3 shell. so The the Gnome blog says that the design goals are to better over, have a better overview for spatial organization, a helpful boot and empty states, improved touchpad navigation, which is great, uh, and more engaging app browsing and launching. They say that the new design reimagines the activities overview using a, a strong spatial metaphor. Workspaces are arranged horizontally and have a physical quality to them. Not totally sure what that means. They say that workspaces appear in, in in a continuous sequence from left to right, this sequence can be panned and scrolled. Uh, windows have app icons on on them to help identify identify what those windows are, and also the window title being shown on hover when you hover over the the windows in this new overview. So it's an it's an interesting design. It's uh, I think it's quite interesting. I'm actually making a video on this topic for the channel because I want to go more in depth into this UX because I am interested in this UX mostly because of a previous uh, iteration of this kind of uh, philosophy of design. And I am going to talk about that much more in depth in that video, which will be coming out on the channel pretty soon. But for now, let's just talk about what they're doing in terms of this overall change. Now, this is a significant change from the previous GNOME 3 shell design because it had that vertical stack. And that vertical stack which was is, which is much smaller, but also a lot of people like that because it had all in one. And this is having where you have basically one Available at any given time, and there's other sections that show you can you know slide across. But what's really cool about this change is that they're going to be adding touchpad navigation, and touchpad navigation is really cool because in this particular ex- example, they haven't said ex- like exactly how much like functionality is going to be added to the touchpad uh, navigation, but they have said that they're going to do a four-finger swipe, which is awesome because what that means is that you can use uh, four touch points for your four fingers and go left and right, and you'll be able to slide back and forth between different virtual desktops. Now, I'm not sure if that only works in the activity overviews. Uh, Hopefully it works just completely because there's no way you're going to accidentally do four finger uh, swiping. So hopefully they just make that work regardless. But yeah, we'll see what happens here. But I think this is interesting. A lot of people are going to be kind of disappointed because, well, it's a very big change and they've had the same rough design of the GNOME shell for about I don't know, eight to 10 years now. Uh, it has fluctuated quite a bit over those years, but for the vast majority of the time, it's the same. So people who are used to that workflow are going to have to get used to a brand new workflow because a lot are, ch- a lot of things are changing. But I do think that this is a, a lot of potential because I'm a big fan of the uh, touchpad gesture swiping stuff. I think that if they also make it work with the regular touchscreens, they could even make this, uh, you know, tablet friendly. So, you know, like the Pine Tab had this on there, that would be really cool in that sense. Uh, And also, if they, you know, just implement this gesture in a larger way than not just the overview, I think that, I mean, I'm not sure if they're going to be doing the adjusting the overview because they haven't really specified the details yet. Uh, But this is more of like speculative. hope, I guess, that they make it all, they make this, uh, these, these gestures for the touchpad be available for, you know, whenever you want them to be not just in the overview, because that would be awesome. So I think there's a lot of potential. I think that I understand why people are going to have a little bit of an issue with the transition because it will be quite different. But I think if they're, you know, just willing to try it out, they might see the value in it because the touchpad gestures are very cool. And I hope they go all the way through that. And if you like some more co- uh, information on this topic, then check out the show notes for the known blog link. And also be sure to subscribe because, as I said, I'm making a video on this to dig into it much more because I do think that the UX needs a little bit more, um, you know, expansion to you know show you why it's that it has that potential that it could be great. So we'll go into that in later in the in the, on a different video uh, on the channel. So be sure to subscribe and ring that bell to get notified when I release that video. But for now, links in the show notes. Up next in the show, Hard Kernel, the company behind Odroid Boards, have been making all sorts of interesting products, many of which are in the retro gaming space. They released sort of a retro console, and they also released a portable handheld console called the Odroid Go Advanced, which is kind of like a Game Gear or a Game Boy. But Hard Kernel has also just announced the successor for the Android or the Odroid Go... Advanced, and that is the Odroid Go Super. This device is more powerful, has a larger screen, and kind of resembles a Nintendo Switch. So this is a 5-inch handheld PC built for retro gaming. It's running Linux on a rock chip RK3. 3326 quad-core Cortex-A35 processor. It's running Ubuntu 2004 with emulation station, and it allows for retro games through emulators like uh, games for Sony, uh, PlayStation games like Nintendo games, Atari games, Sega games, and more. It has a 854 by 480 display, which is a 5-inch screen. This is actually replacing the 3.5-inch screen that was in the Odroid Go Advanced. It has a uh, higher-capable battery from the previous one, so the the Ojoid, the OGA, we'll call it that. The OGA had three thousand milliamp. This is a four thousand milliamp. So that's awesome. They added a second analog joystick. Uh, they added dedicated volume buttons. Uh, they also have it changed some stuff for the micro SD card slot. This is not necessarily a big no, like thing that you know normally you talk about, but I just want to like a quick note. They changed the micro SD card slot to have like a spring a push spring eject, which is all of these boards and every product that has an SD card slot should have this because basically what it does is that when you push in the SD card, it will kind of like lock it in. And when you push it, you push it again to get it out, it will kind of like, you know, give you a little bit of an extra push to get it out for you. So it doesn't make it where you have to like, kind of like get weird tweezers to get it out in some devices. So I think all of these kinds of boards and devices should have a push spring eject. Just uh, that's a side tangent, but I do think they all should do it. And this uh, this particular device, the o- Odroid Go Super, has multi- uh, two different options for the enclosure. It's a it has one that's a gray and another one that's a like a clear but sort of like a white tinted. So it's kind of like a transparent uh, enclosure. So those, that's kind of cool. Also, it's interesting that the gray color they call it dim gray. And that's, that's their description of it, not mine. Uh, but I, I kind of wish there was a black, like a matte black edition. That'd be cool. Uh, but anyway, this is really cool. It's actually going to be started to be sellable or purchasable at the end of January 2021 for only $80. So that's really interesting. And uh, it has, so just to little quickly, the, the specs for this particular device is, like I said, it's a 1.3 gigahertz quad core RK3326 rock chip. It has a Mali uh, 3, G31 MP2 GPU. It has one gigabyte of RAM. It also has a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. And it has a, like all the, the standard buttons you would expect on this kind of device, like the ABXY and the, the shoulder buttons and all that. But it also has a F1 through f6 buttons so that's pretty interesting so you could do it for uh integra- interacting with the system on the device so that's cool uh, and also in addition to that it has expansion slots like a 10 pin header for gpio which is very interesting so anyway i'm looking i'm i'm very interested in checking this out i i'm anyway if you'd like to learn more about the Odroid go super then check the links in the show notes for more information This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean and their app platform. DigitalOcean's app platform service is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. Use a simple, intuitive, and visually rich experience to rapidly build, deploy, manage, and scale apps. It has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, Static Sites, Docker, And more so they actually have this is really interesting because they have a zero infrastructure management. What what does that mean? Well, you simply put point your your GitHub repository to the app platform and it will let do all the heavy lifting for you. It handles the infrastructure like app runtimes and dependencies so that you can push code to production in just a few clicks. Uh, Secure apps automatically as well. They create, manage and renew your SSL certificates and also protect your apps from DDoS attacks, which is awesome. And you can run code with little to no customization. App Platform uses open cloud native uh, standards and also automatically analyzes your code, creates containers and runs them on a Kubernetes cluster. As a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free, better than free. In fact, they'll give you $100 free credit by going to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. The Live team have announced the release of the 20.12 version of this open source video editor. This is my preferred video editor, actually, and it has been for years. They have been doing a lot of great work in recent years, and I'm so excited to talk about the future of the project and what it holds. Uh, and also this particular release of 20.12 has some interesting things that a lot of people have been requesting, uh, like for example, the same track transitions, which makes it easier to do an editing workflow because the previous thing you had to have one uh, one clip sitting on top of another clip and then you do a transition that way. Now they're now doing it so you can have it all on the same track, which makes it a lot easier for some people to get started, kind of like a beginner stuff because it it kind of feels more intuitive that way, which is pretty cool. And this is activated by selecting a clip and pressing the uh, the U or using the uh, icon on the timeline toolbar to do it as well. So that is really cool. It's a nice way to get people who are you know not familiar with video editing to get it much more easier to transition into doing that sort of stuff. I did not mean to do that pun of transition to transitions, but I did. So there we're gonna we're gonna leave that. Also, they've added a new subtitling tool, which is awesome. You can add and edit subtitles directly in the timeline on a special subtitle track, which is fantastic. You can also use a new subtitle widget. I think that is really cool to be able to build it into the out, the, uh, the the video. Hopefully, it's not only just a, a video thing, but also a metadata thing. That would be fantastic, and uh, I need to try it out. I haven't been able to try test out this latest version yet, you know getting ready for the uh, all the hol- the holidays this this uh, season have been uh, interesting this, we'll just say that and uh, but i am really excited to try out this new subtitle tool because that sounds awesome They've also added a lot of new effects and they've even uh, organized the effects under a new uh, category structure and they say that it's it's clear and comprehensive and I think that this is a really cool idea because the, the way that they had the effects was a little bit confusing with the composition versus effects and the different categories. I'm, I'm glad that they're uh, improving that part as well. And you can now uh, rename and edit description of custom effects and this is great because previously when you created a custom effect, once you named it, you couldn't change it, so if you had a typo like I have done before, uh, you'd have to either accept it or delete the effect and re- remake it, uh, which is not that big a deal because you just created the effect and then you know put, save it again and then just change the title. It wasn't that big of an issue, but now you can edit it and just rename it whenever you want to, which is awesome. Uh, they also added a new video equalizer for adjusting image brightness, contrast, saturation, and gamma. They've also done uh, some st- some effects for 3D and VR 360, which is for working with 360 video and 3D scare- uh, stereoscopic footage, which is really cool. And they've added a new effect called Pillar Echo, which is for vertical videos. So if you record a vertical video and you want to put it into a, a landscape 16 by 9 video, you can use this effect to kind of do well, I guess the best way to explain it is that you have a vertical video in the middle and then it has the video of that, you know, blown up in the background and kind of blurred. Uh, you, you've probably seen it on many occasions before, you know, when people try to put those vertical videos inside of a landscape, it kind of looks weird if you don't do something about that. And that is the most commonly done thing. And now you can do that with the pillar echo effect built into Kden Live, which is awesome. They've also improved the usability and performance. They've done some performance optimizations for making a snappier timeline, improved thumbnail creation, uh, faster project opening, and all sorts of stuff. And like I said, I'm a big fan of Kdenlive, and I've been using it for years. I'm glad to see they are simplifying some of the stuff for beginners, as well as also adding some advanced tools at the same time, which is really awesome. And you know what? Maybe I should make some tutorials about how to use Kdenlive, so more people can see how great this video editor is. All right, uh, you've convinced me, I'll start making Kaden Kaden Live tutorials, so be be sure to subscribe to the channel to get those. Uh, But in the meantime, if you'd like to learn more about this release and also the roadmap of what is coming up for the future of Kaden Live, then check the links in the show notes below. Darktable 3.4 has been officially released just in time to help you process your holiday photos with new features, improvements, bug fixes, and updated camera support. Darktable is an open source and cross-platform raw image editor for photographers. You could describe Darktable as an alternative to Adobe Lightroom and some users even consider it that it may be better than Lightroom. And this is the second major release for Darktable in 2020 following the Darktable 3.2, which was in August. So in just four months time, they've released yet another exciting for this great project dark table 3.4 introduces many new improvements and features such as grouping uh, being able to group modules with this new gr- uh, module grouping f- functionality they also revamped the tethering view that now supports histogram and enhanced uh, module masking feature for scene referred workflows filmic rgb version 4 now works with opencl and highlight reconstruction is now significantly faster with the opencl enabled hardware also they've done support for uh, parametric masking and linear RGB. Also the J Z C Z H Z color spaces have had improvements for support. I That just rolls right off the tongue, right there. Uh, A new color calibration module has been added to this release, acting as a way to have like a color correction hub. This new module can be used in conjunction with masks, which enables selective illumination correction, and also it makes for cases where several colored light sources are present. You can you you can utilize multiple light sources. It also provides a full library of CIE standard illuminants, as well as two machine learning algorithms, which can make can find the most likely illuminate for the scene when no neutral color has been sampled in the image, which makes it a lot easier to do the color cal- collaboration or calibration. Uh, and also in addition, the color calibration will allow you to darken or brighten the image in a color preserving way using pixel values. And uh, for, for example, to quickly darken skies and stuff like that. And it has, and finally, it also can affect the saturation in a channel dependent way, again, using the Filmic uh, V4 uh, color science st- structure. So, this is really cool. Also, in this release, a focus peaking button has been added in the Light Table Darkroom views, which complements the existing keyboard shortcut. So focus peaking helps to visualize the depth of field in an image by materializing the sharp edges. And they've also added a new exposure-independent guided filter in the tone equalizer module, as well as grayscale support for the AVIF format. They've done a lot more improvements. We're not going to cover everything because there's just so much to cover. But the last thing I do want to talk about is the the improvements to the map view. So they have support for grouping images that are close to each other, which improves performance when manipulating a large collection of images and makes management of those images much easier. This is going to be great news for people who like to do geotagging for their images. If you'd like to learn more about this release, and then you can check out the Darktable 3.4 announcement post or dive in more with the complete changelog. I'll have links for both of those in the show notes. And also I'll provide an article that I wrote for FrontPageLinux.com that gives a lot more details about this release. You can find all these links in the show notes below. Up next in the show, KDE announced the release of NeoChat. NeoChat is a client for the Matrix Protocol. So it's a modern client based on the Kirigami framework, making it able to support responsive design, which is why you can use it on your desktop or even KDE edition of Pine64's PinePhone. So what is a Matrix client? Well, first of all, let's talk about Matrix. Matrix is an instant messaging uh, system similar to WhatsApp or Telegram. It uses open and decentralized network for secure and privacy-protecting communications. It also has a very heavily focus on security and privacy. Uh, NeoChat is a client for Matrix, so you can use it to utilize that protocol. And like I said, it uses the Kirigami framework. It also uses QML and the lib quotient library to interact with the Matrix protocol. It's a fork of the Spectral application, which is another QML client. Uh, And this particular release, this release has, uh, it's really cool because this is the 1.0 release. And that means it's the first uh, necessary, not necessarily stable release, but it's the The 1.0 release usually means stable, so there you go. Uh, The features included for NeoChat are it adapts to any screen size like I talked about. It's a convergent UI thanks to the Kirigami framework. It has a timeline that supports simple messages, has uh, all the basic chat features you can use like uh, send and respond to messages, reply to messages, add reactions, upload images, It also has an image editor built into it, so that's really interesting. You can crop, rotate, and do stuff like that uh, thanks to the uh, KQuick image editor library. So that's really cool. It has support for dragging and dropping image Support It has integrated emoji picker, all that sorts of stuff, all the basics you would expect for a chat system. It also has some uh, room specific features. Like there's a sidebar containing room information, uh, ability to invite users to a room, start private chats, create new rooms, explore public rooms. And it also has room management for moderators like ban and kick users, that sort of stuff. Now, this is really interesting. I think that the matrix, uh, applications, uh, like all the clients, they they're, they're kind of hit or miss. And I think NeoChat has a lot of potential. You know, I've been using Matrix for much more lately. And I got to say, I'm looking forward to NeoChat for sure. Element is the most well-rounded client right now for Matrix, but honestly, it needs a lot of work. Uh, NeoChat is already very close to being a competitive client, and the only thing that is missing is the lack of encryption. But once that encryption is there, I will likely be switching to NeoChat. And based on the test, I think it has a lot of potential, and I can't wait to have a client that doesn't use a subpar web interface. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about this about this client and you want to check it out for yourself, I'll have links for the blog post for Carl Schwan uh, his blog post on his website uh, and links in the show notes below. Up next in the show, I wanted to introduce you to an interesting markdown editor that I found. Uh, they describe it as a markdown editor for the 21st century, and this app is called Zettler. Zettler? I'm not sure which one actually. One of those two, hopefully, and maybe something else. Who knows? Anyway, this helps keep all your notes and text in one place. It's an interesting way of doing Markdown as as a note editor, but they also have advanced features uh, that are tailored to uh, researchers, journalists, and novelists. It's an Electron-based app, so for those who are not fans of Electron, there you go. That's just so you know. But it has features like uh, code highlighting for many languages. It has typewriter mode, uh, screen reader support, search algorithm with integrated heat map, which is really interesting. It also has a reference or citation management system, integrates well with uh, reference managers such as Zotero, uh, uh, JabRF, or JabRef, or Juris M. I don't know if I said those right. And it has a it has the very necessary support for dark mode, which, as I've said previously in this in this episode and other episodes, everything should have dark mode, at least as an option. Anyway, it also allows you to connect uh, pieces of information using the Zettelkasten methodology, which has support for links, file IDs, file tagging, that sort of stuff. If you'd like me to explain what the Zettelkasten methodology is, I I, I don't know. I looked it up, actually, in order to to explain it for this topic, but, uh, well, let me just give you the quote from the introduction page that I found for the methodology and how they explain it. So they say that the Zettelkasten method is an amplifier of your endeavors in the realm of knowledge work. Yeah. So that clears it up now, doesn't it? If anyone out there in the DLN community is familiar with what this methodology is, then please leave a comment to this episode on YouTube uh, or Odyssey or the DLNforum.com because I would like to know what this means because that was not very helpful. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about this app as well, uh, then as always, you'll find links in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN a password manager is software that allows you to have a peace of mind that knowing that your online accounts are safe and secure how does it do that well securing your online accounts is very important because the best security practice for passwords is to have different password for every account on every website that you sign up to and sure that makes sense as a policy but without a password manager that it's also very painful thing to do bitwarden solves all of this by providing tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault tools for auto-generating those passwords for you and automatically filling in those passwords on login forms so that you don't have to. You can access your data across multiple types of devices, like your web browser, uh, using their mobile apps, desktop application, or even on the command line. Bitwarden uh, seals your private data in with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices so you know you're the only person who has access to your data. Bitwarden, bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust because in addition to all these great features, it's also 100% open source software. That's right, 100% open source, which means the features and security of their infrastructure can be vetted and improved by the community. They don't, And they don't just stop there. They also bring in third-party security firms to audit their code to make sure it's as secure as possible. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can. But also, I think that you'll want to check out their premium account because there's a lot of great features in there. There's one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with UBQ, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, Priority Customer Support, Bitwarden's own authenticator tool for temporary one-time passwords, and you get all of this for just $10 per year. That's right. $10 per year. Make the smart move like many from the DLN community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN. This lets you get peace of mind for your passwords and other sensitive data while also supporting a company that truly gets open source. Sign up for their $10 per year premium account to let them know that you appreciate them supporting open source and supporting this week in Linux podcast. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN and get started. And thanks to Bitwarden again for sponsoring this week in Linux. Up next in the show, we have the first of the gaming section. So this the Steam Winter Cell. The weather outside is frightful, but the Steam Winter Cell is back, which is delightful. <laughs> You're welcome. But seriously though, the Steam Winter sale is back and a lot of great games are on sale from now until January fifth, twenty twenty one. Uh Sid Meier's Civilization six is on sale for seventy-five percent off, which makes it fifteen dollars. They also have a platinum edition that's also on sale with another huge uh, discount, which makes it normally is the price for that is $168, but you can get that whole print platinum edition for uh thirty-nine something. Also, Total Warhammer two, uh, this is on discount for sixty. 66% off, uh, Stellaris has uh, 75% off, Stardew Valley has 33% off, and also Tabletop Simulator Terraria and Oxygen Not Included all have 50% off. So those are, th- and these are these are games that are native to Linux, but there are quite a few available in the Winter Sale that also are supported by Proton, so there's, there's that. Uh, there are a lot of other games on sale right now, so I do apologize for your wallets. Uh, even the game that we talked about on Destination Linux last episode, the Jackbox Party pack seven is on sale. So if you want to check that out, that's 25% off. And as a side note, they are currently collecting votes for the Steam Awards. So if you want to participate that, there you go. And uh, the link in the show notes is a link that I'll be giving you. I have, I have two links, one that will be going to the direct for the Steam Winter Sale and also a link for the uh, a direct thing for just games that are on sale for Linux support. So I'll have that for you as well. And also real quick, if you are a gamer in the, in the DLN community and are not a member of the DLN Steam group, you should fix that right now. We do have a Steam group, so I'll have a link to in the show notes for both the the links for the uh, Steam winter sale, the, both of those links for there, and also a link for the DLN Steam group if you'd like to join it. So links to all that in the show notes below. Up next in the show, we had some more gaming news related to the PS5. So this is actually Sony has announced official Linux driver for the PS5 controllers. It supports the PlayStation 5 DualSense game controller. It's just over 1,400 lines of code, so they are putting in a lot of effort in this. It has support for uh, both USB and Bluetooth modes. All the, all the key functionality is supported, even uh, LEDs, motion sensors, touchpad, uh, the battery support, rumble support, even the light bar is supported in this. Uh, they have not yet supported uh, the specific unique features for the DualSense controllers like ada- adaptive triggers or the VCM-based haptics. They say that these features require a large amount of data and complex data structures so that they're not available yet, but there are there is work being put into it to make that work. So this is really cool that they have uh, put in the effort to get the PlayStation 5 uh, DualSense game controller supported in Linux, so that is awesome. And also, it's really great that the Sony company themselves are doing it, so it's official support, which is fantastic. Uh, I actually was going to get a PS5, and then I realized it didn't have support, so I purchased a PS4 controller recently, just like a week ago. So it's kind of you know, like bad timing for me. But at the same time, uh, it is cool that they're doing that. It's also currently under review. So it's not queued up right now for the mainlines yet. So we're not sure what next or what kernel will have support for that. But hopefully pretty soon. If you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have links in the show notes below. So up next in the show, we're going to talk about something that is very interesting related to an update to the Linux kernel that is being proposed in terms of a a new port for the Linux kernel. Uh, So the the kernel is an awesome piece of technology for a variety of reasons. It's been in development for decades. It has thousands of contributors across that that time. And thanks to the open source nature of the the project, it can run on practically anything. And to prove that yet again, uh, the open source developer, uh, Lori Kasanen. uh, prob- uh, sorry, I butchered that. Probably is also a contributor to the Mesa drivers and Linux graphics stack, and is proving that that the point about running on practically anything is definitely possible by because uh, announcing on Christmas Day this year that they've created a brand new port to a game console that was launched more than two decades ago. They created an N64 port named N64 Bootloader, and what exactly does this mean? Well, it means that you can now boot Linux on an N64. Yes. Bare metal support for the Nintendo 64. Uh, the binary is a 64 bit MIPS build that can be loaded on the N64 with a flash card. So th- this is a quote from the kernel.org message board from Laurie says that here's a port for the Nintendo 64 at least two people have done such a port before but they didn't submit it this is not based on either of those ports though submitted as a uh, R- RFC or ref- request for comments because I'm not sure if it's useful for th- to have this merged it's an old niche and limited platform uh, so, but this does beg the question but why? why well, do this. So, Lori says that having Linux so, uh, Linux available on the N64 makes it easier to port emulators or console games. Plus, the N64 page on the linuxmips.org website can now be edited to no longer say vaporware and most importantly, because I can. And I got to say, these are great reasons to port Linux to the N64, especially the because because they can, and that's awesome. Uh, uh, and I also I seem to be becoming more of a gamer lately, or something. Since I talked about the Sega Dreamcast last week, and now so many topics about gaming this week, I'm not sure exactly, but you know, I, I, I'm kind of leaning towards more of the gamer aspect. Maybe I should start streaming on DealinLive.com. That's right. Remember, we have a new live page for you to check out, DealinLive.com. Anyway. Links for this announcement for the Linux port to the N64 are in the show notes below. And finally this week, I want to talk to you about FrontPage Linux. So FrontPageLinux.com, what is it? It's a website with news, articles, tutorials, opinions, and so much more focused on Linux and open source. In addition to all the great content, one of the coolest things about FPL is that you, Yes, you, listening to the show, can write for FrontPage Linux. In fact, I decided to write more on FrontPage Linux myself this week, and if you'd like to do that too and become a contributor to FPL, then this is what you need to do. Go to FrontPageLinux.com and click on the Contribute link at the top of the site. This will take you to a page that explains the process of becoming a contributor to FrontPage Linux and also how to submit content to FPL. Anyone is welcome to contribute to FPL, so if you're interested, then please get in touch. We are currently looking for people interested in posting uh, news stories, tutorials, opinion pieces, and stuff like that. So if this sounds like something that you'd like to do, then go to frontpagelinux.com to learn more. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. Also, ring that bell to get notified when we make new content and new episodes. On the channel. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, sponsors, uh, Patreon, and more. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com/slash/contribute, or you can order the Linux is everywhere T-shirt by going to dlnstore.com. This is the shirt that shows that whether or not you know that Linux is there, it probably is. So check that out at dlnstore.com. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episodes of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts because I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Destination Linux network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So join us all in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week Go to DLNlive.com to check that out. Also, this show is global. So if that if that time zone doesn't really help you, 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern also is 1800 UTC. And if that still doesn't help clarify, uh, check the link in the description and in the show notes. We'll have a time zone converter there to help it make it easier for you to know what it is in your time zone. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news.